We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have pity listeners. I think he's being generous. Read your Bible as interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig, apologizing for the late start. And with me, of course, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going? But we are not apologizing for having scholarship and theology mattering. That's right. It looks like we got are a we did, really... Did we talk about a... Uh... Bumper sticker or something? Yeah, actually, like actually, uh, Lois gave us uh, a good amount of uh, funding to make a new sticker that says uh, the Robin Caleb Show, or or uh, Theology Matters Scholarship Counts. Theology Matters. She wants that as a bumper sticker. So we will uh, we will attempt to get those in the works shortly. Uh, we need to task Michael to do so. Um, yeah. So how's it going, man? It's going well. It's cold. Oh, it's cold. It's beautiful weather. Cold. You know, we had a clear, beautiful sky last night. Stars. You can see that big moon up there. Mm-hmm. But it's cold. So our heater's like running, just running, 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 running. You know, there's been some interesting things going on. We t- I took la- last Wednesday off, but uh, we had pre-recorded. We're going to have to do the same thing next week as I will be going to travel to Leavenworth, Washington, with some good friends, including Adam, who's in the chat room. It'll be a wonderful time. And, of course, next week is our annual, uh, uh, I don't know, Christmas special, uh, Hanukkah special, whatever you want to say. It's, uh, it's every year we debate or talk about, <clears throat> pardon me, various aspects of the holiday of Christmas and or Hanukkah. I already got, I've already started doing work on that show. Um, Can so, we, well, Derek, Derek uh, just left a Spurgeon quote in the chat room. And what's that? Uh, I'll read it here. This is from Mr. Derek B. Oh, yeah. We, we, yeah, we, we, uh, we actually, uh, we quoted this, uh, was it last year? The year before, I think we quoted this. Well, let's read, let's read it again. I'll read it. Yep. This is from, uh, thanks, Derek, for posting Charles Spurgeon sermon on December 24th. 1871. Hoorah. Quote, we have no superstitious regard for times and seasons. Certainly, we do not believe in the present ecclesiastical arrangement called Christmas. First, because we do not believe in the mass at all, but abhor it, whether it be said or sung in Latin or in English. And secondly, because we find no scriptural warrant whatever for observing any day as the birthday of our Savior— the Savior, and consequently its observance is a superstition because not of divine authority. Do, should we give a little bobble? Should we give a Spurgeon bobblehead? Uh, Bing! Uh, I, wish, I really wish I had this on a belt. Bing! That'd be great. Yeah. All right. 
Good. Love, love to yeah, start the show with Spurgeon. See, I don't know if we can see Spurgeon on your on your Skype camera. We can only see him on a little more. There we go. Give him give him some air time there on the mic. There, there you go. Um, so if you want to leave comments for us, go ahead and uh, do so. You can do it on our comment line, the Tor Resource Radio comment mm-hmm. line, 253-465-3205. That is 253-465-3205. Uh, did you see this? I put this in the show notes, and uh, we're not really going to talk about it. I'll just let people read it uh, for I themselves. Don't look at those. Yes, I know. But uh, James Murray, uh, who is a uh, the he's the son of the person who the lady who founded. I think it's like a, a, a atheist of America or something like that. She was responsible for getting the uh, uh, public Bible reading out of public schools uh, for uh, taking. Uh, um, prayer out of schools. Anyway, he just converted to Christianity. He's written a book on it, and uh, I thought that was an uplifting story. Anyway, it's in the show notes for anyone who wants to see it. Um, and I also posted it on my Twitter account, at Caleb Hague. You can go check it out there as well. We've had some interesting things happen recently. We've just, uh, man, I, you know, I don't know. We we were going in different directions for this show, and now we got so much to talk about. I don't, I don't even know. Yeah, it's impressive. Um, so, I, should we just jump right into it? I think we should, eh? Uh, I got a call from a very good friend of mine who comes to, of ours, I should say, who comes to uh, Tor Resource Family Camp every year, drives in from Montana. She asked me, she said, uh, I'm having some trouble. Pardon me as I take a sip out of my wonderful Tor Resource mug. Um, cheers. Cheers. She, uh, she said that uh, she's been having trouble in her congregation. There are people who are advocating for the book of Jasher and the book of Enoch to be in our Bibles. Now, I don't, we don't need to take a whole lot of time with this, um, but I thought that uh, this would be interesting to talk about. Now, in the Bible, in the Tanakh, we have, uh, we have two references to the book of Jasher. Uh, we have Joshua 10.13. Uh, it says, So the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. That's Joshua ten thirteen. And then again, in 2 Samuel, if you're reading the Hebrew, it's in one seventeen, I believe. If you're reading the English, it's in one eighteen. Quote, and he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Then, of course, and I didn't pull this reference up, but I suppose we could go to it very quickly. Um, let's go to verses Jude. Um, what is it, Jude 17? Jasher's not in Jude. No, no, I'm not talking about Jasher. I'm talking about uh, Enoch when he... when he. Oh, you flipped to Enoch. No, I'm flipping I to Enoch. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Enoch, Jude 14, I think it is. I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to give all of the biblical references to these two books first. Ah, uh, yes, you're oh, right. Gotcha. Uh, Jude 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Um, so here are the uh, the main references that we have now. From these references, people 
are saying that we should be uh, that we should include the Book of Enoch and uh, the Book of Jasher into our canon. Uh, now, I've I've worked on uh, the the formation and the closing of the canon before. You can find that in uh, my lectures that I did in the Philippines last April. Uh, was it April, February, March, something like that? My father has done an entire course on this uh, on this exact subject of canonization called "How We Got Our Bible," which is available on TorahResource.com, um, and also is a specific class that you can take at Torah Resource Institute. Anyway, uh, I am very 100% convinced that uh, our Bible should have 66 books in it, depending on um, how you want to count them. But uh, traditionally, we would count them as 66 various books. And there's good reasons that the book of Jasher and the book of Enoch are not in our Bibles. Let's look at those real quick. First of all, the book of Jasher. Stop me at any time or jump in here, Rob. Um, I found this. This is also in your show notes. The Mystery Book of Jasher by Arthur Cheel. I think that's how you say his name. Basically, what you have going on is there is no book of Jasher. The book of Jasher, from the Bible, biblical times at least, the book of Jasher that uh, that we have today, we have two two main books of Jasher. One that was uh, written in the 12th century, uh, so from the you know the, the rabbinic rabbinical writing medieval. time, yeah, medieval, yeah, uh, AD. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so right around the time of the Zohar. Is uh, when this book was written as a rabbinic invention. Uh, it's been proven to be from that time, and it has been proven to be a rabbinic invention. It's an agotic work. The second uh, book of Jasher that was that we have today. Uh, meaning it's full agotic, meaning it's not halachic, and what that means is it's stories full of lore. It's yeah, full exactly. of lore. Yeah. and legend, not legal. Uh, doesn't have real much legal code content. Yes, and, and uh, this this edition of the Book of Jasher, uh, the English edition, was translated from the Hebrew and published in Venice in the year 1625 by Joseph Ben Samuel of Fez. Uh, the second was published, the second Book of Jasher, which is different than this first Book of Jasher that we're talking about. Uh, the, the second one that was published was published in 1840 in New York by Mordecai Noah. This book of Jasher was the creation of Jacob Eliv, who produced the work in 1754. And believe it or not, um, let's see if I can find this reference again. I don't know if I can or not. Uh, Give me just a second here. I got papers everywhere. Um, This is 71. I'm looking for 72. Yes, here. Um, So... This Jacob Iliv for his efforts in writing of the book of Jasher, as well as for his radical tracts, Jacob Iliv was sentenced in 1756 to three years imprisonment. But this, uh, yeah, so basically he spent time in, in prison for, uh, for writing this and some other tracts. Well, how do you know it's just not true? Well, uh, <laughs> maybe, there, that's the, maybe that's the book that Maybe that's Joshua the original. Yes. About. Yes. Well, um, let's see here. Let me uh, read from this. This is actually very interesting. Uh, this is what are you re- what are you reading from? This is from once again in your show notes. Um, my word, I'm all over the place here. This is what happens when it's on paper, not on the computer. The Mystery Book of Jasher by Arthur Cheel. This is actually a really good, uh, really good article 
Um, this specifically from uh, Holy Scriptures, London. Um, Jacob Illiv published the book of Jasher in November of 1751, that it was a fabrication was quickly recognized. And in December of the same year, the Monthly Review of London had this to say about Illiv and his creation. The publisher, and this is a quote from, from, the, uh, from the Monthly Review, um, the publisher, in order to give sanction to this uh, pretended book of Jasher, refers to the mention made uh, to such a book in Joshua 13 and Samuel 18. In both, these references say, says he, it is appealed to as a work of credit and reputation, and as such was at the time had in great esteem. But the work now published does not in the, the least appear to be, be the book referred to in the scriptures, but a palpable piece of controversy intended to impose on the credulous and the ignorant to sap the credit of the books of Moses and to bl blacken the character of Moses himself. Hence, it is no wonder that the editor or author has had the uh, pre precaution to conceal his name. He has trump trumped up an idle story of the means by which the manuscript fell into his hands, which he rela relates in a pre prefatory epistle to the nameless earl. Uh, it goes on. Basically, uh, him and his brothers, they were trying to uh, throw uh, throw Moses under the bus in this. Um, so basically, if someone today tells you that you have, th this is all just to say this, if someone today tells you that uh, the book of Jasher should be in our book because they had it in the Tanakh, the answer should be, well, uh, the book of Jasher that we have today, either one of them. Is that's right. That's they're not the same book. Yeah, they're total fabrications. Um, one by the rabbis and one by a a, a printer in the 1700s. Um, so even if people wanted it in their Bibles, well, it's impossible to have. What about Enoch? Tell me about Enoch. Uh, I everything I know about the book of Enoch, well, you know that I the, learned from that, your class. But the back to the Jasher. First of all, we should, it's. It sounds like it's a guy's name. <laughs> in Hebrew, it's Sefer Hayashar. Yeah, which the upright. Is probably better Book of the Upright or something like this. Um, you know, one one thing that's interesting for me is uh, there's no Second Temple period Jewish group that seemed to care about a book called Sefer Hayashar. There's no nothing in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, we have all sorts of crazy, imaginative, apocalyptic, you know, writings. We hear all different store legends about Melchizedek and um, Enoch and all these things. Um, no one seems to be interested in Sefer HaYashar. Um, it's not until after the Middle Ages, like you point out, that uh, people and we see this. You know, we see new religious books being sold as old, like the Zohar. The Bahir, that those are on the scene pretty early in the Middle Ages. The Book of Mormon, yeah, is is one that comes out of a, a story of mystery and look. I've translated its ancient texts. Sorry, I can't show you the manuscript. <laughs> you know, sorry, I can't I can't show you uh, anything. But you just have to take my word for it. Take this translation. And so the people who are enthusiastic about the Book of Jasher, for example, um. 
they don't recognize, in my view, it seems like what's they're they're not paying attention to the whole picture. They're not seeing uh, that they've been uh, sold a bag of beans. You know, they're they're thinking it's something bigger and better, and well, they're not seeing that that uh, it's a it's total uh, snake oil. Well, the other thing is, is is we have no historical evidence from even around the first century. So, for instance, the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have no evidence of a book of Jasher. Uh, second, we have no uh, none of the of the church fathers, quote unquote, church fathers uh, in any of the lists citing Jasher as one of the uh, even even disputed books. It's not even it's not even yeah, around. Yeah. Not even even among, even among the rabbis, <laughs> you know, yep. even among the Sadducees or even the Dead Sea Scroll community. No, no one's interested in trying to find or nobody's quoting from it. Called, yeah, save for how you share. So, so one of the things pertaining to canon is: do we have is is it historical? Can we place it in a time frame? And of course. Um, the the Sefer HaYeshar referred to in the Tanakh these two times is something completely lost. It has nothing to do with the recent, you know, fabrications. When I say recent, since the Middle Ages. Um, besides that, now, the, uh, the Sefer HaYeshar that I have is an English translation of a printed Hebrew text. But I don't know, Caleb, and this is good. I don't know if it's which of the two it comes from. But it's very, very rabbinic. It, um, in multiple ways... And it contrasts with Enoch, and so we can kind of segue into Enoch from it, but the Sefer HaYeshah, here's a few things that you can think about. The story of Genesis 6, you know, the, the Nephilim, the B'nai HaLohim, the Nephilim. In Sefer HaYeshar, it tells the story and calls them judges. It says the judges saw Nothing about aliens, nothing about demons or fallen angels. It's just said it calls them judges, um, which is pulls that that stream is preserved through the rabbinic tradition. And here's another point is that it gives the the giving of the Torah in this book of Sefer HaYeshar is put on the sixth of Sivan, the sixth of the the sixth day of the third month. That's total later rabbinic marking because the um, nowhere in the Torah is Shavuot fixed on a date. It's just a counting. But later rabbis fix it to the 6th of Savan. So that's another uh, place where that's post-Second Temple. No one even in the Second Temple period put it on, on a, such a precise date because it was always considered something you count to, not something you... Uh, uh, and another is is the Akidah, the whole story of the binding of Isaac mm -hmm. in the, this book of Joshua, is based on uh, a later rabbinic midrash that shows polemic with Islam, mm. uh, because you have this argument between uh, Ishmael and um, uh, Isaac, in that uh, Ishmael, and this is a whole midrash. Isaac uh, is the younger kid and Ishmael saying, oh, you know, I was circumcised when I was 13 and it, you know, and I was brave. It took courage for me to, to be a, I'm a true man. You were circumcised at the eighth day. You're just, you had no choice in the matter and it, it didn't, you didn't have to do anything. And so Isaac's response then in the Midrash is, even if the Lord asked for my soul, I'd give it unhesitantly. 
And then the very next thing is Abraham gets called to offer Isaac. Uh, and so the whole story is Isaac saying, you know, he's a grown man. Make sure you tighten it right. You know, like to showing how Isaac and it's it's absolute uh, Talmudic uh, midrash. Lore. That it's is lore. Written, yeah. Written, yeah, lore written in to um, the Sefer HaYashar. So. It's got rabbinic fingerprints all over it. it we, now, if we contrast that, and someone's suggesting that in the canon. I'm like, okay, well, we flip over and we look at Enoch. Some people are suggesting this should be in the canon. Completely different, conflicting worldview. Uh, Genesis 6 is interpreted as fallen angels, as it is with the Book of Jubilees, except Jubilees and Enoch give you completely different accounts on what the names of the angels were, the numbers, it's it's completely different uh, thing. Here's another thing. Enoch promotes a solar calendar, 364-day year. Solar calendar, 30-day months. Same with Jubilees, a 364-day calendar. Uh, now, while, while Shavuot is not mentioned in Enoch, it is mentioned in Jubilees, and it's uh, the giving of the Torah is the 15th of the third month. Not the sixth, as uh, Sefer HaYashar, the, the fabrication one, has it. So if someone's suggesting these should be in the canon, these people haven't read and actually thought through these issues. And, uh, and there's there's well, numerous let, other things that could be talked about. Let's say let's just also, real quick, the Enoch that we have today is not written by one author. It's written by at least four authors. And uh, the quote-unquote quote uh, in Jude is not a quote from anything that we have today. Correct. I just have to reply, yes, fake news. <laughs> that, was, that was great, uh, Suzanne. Um, the, uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Okay, so both, you well, you already read the Sefer HaYashar. It says, as is written, Ketuvah is the word, Ketuvah, in Sefer HaYashar is written. So it was a, a sefer. A sefer in the ancient world is just something that has writing on it. It could be a scroll. It could be, you know, a, technically a piece of wood, you know, that's smooth, that's got in great, could be a sefer. It just means something that's got been inscribed with, with information. Um, but that's not what Jude says. But it says, no, wait a minute. So Enoch, or sorry, sorry, J uh, Yashar was written. Um, but again, let's point out it's different than the book now being sold as Jasher. Enoch, we have, he's all over. Well, actually, Enoch's only like in Genesis 5 and in once in First Chronicles, right? Mm -hmm. He's meant, well, there's Enoch who's son of Cain. This is a different Enoch, but it's the same word, Hanok. Uh, he's mentioned in Genesis 5 once in First Chronicles. Right as part of the genealogy, because remember, Adam, right? It, uh, it is the first word of First Chronicles. It goes through uh, just the list of names. So Enoch's there, and then that is also in Luke chapter three, right? Luke also gives from Adam, and so he goes through Enoch. But that's it for Enoch. So we know he's an authoritative figure until we get to Hebrews and Jude, right? So Hebrews. Hebrews 11 yeah. talks about Enoch and his faith and actually quotes Genesis 5. So Enoch in the first century was understood from the Bible, from the Torah itself, and from the history in First Chronicles, was a, a hero. 
he was like a mighty man of faith. And we, that's why he's in Hebrews 11. He's, a, he's an ancient authoritative figure, biblical figure. So no one's arguing about that. And, and as a matter of fact, Hebrews clearly puts him right in, right after, you know, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham. So we're not contesting that Enoch was an authority. And we have in Jude, now we'll get to our Jude passage. But notice how Jude introduces, he doesn't say it is written. He doesn't say it as it is written in Enoch, the book of Enoch. He doesn't use anything similar to what the quote for Sefer HaYashar is, as it is written in the book of, is it not written in the book of Jashar, or it is written, nothing like that. He just says, he prophesied, saying, and then he just has this one line. So what we have here, then, is, is what we would call an oral tradition. This is not oral Torah of later rabbis. It's just an oral tradition that Enoch's name was associated with the preaching of judgment to come of sinners, which is really a call to repentance. I mean, that's what before the flood, right? <clears throat> And that the Lord would be coming to execute judgment. So all Jude is doing is saying this message of the Lord coming with thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon ungodly is a, a, a core, in a way, a gospel message in a, in a little nut, right, in a little acorn that goes all the way back to Enoch that's been associated with him. That's all that's happening in Jude 14. We do not know whether Jude had a book of Enoch. We don't know. He's not referring to a book. Why, why do we have the authority to, to demand people think that Jude is quoting from a book? What we do have is that he just says it is, he says this. We don't know if Jude learned this through hearing it or if he ever read it. We, we don't have information. What we do have, though, are existing book fragments from the book of Enoch, first Enoch, chapter one, from later times that, that when we put next to Jude, we can look and go, okay, they're very similar. They're very similar. The earliest we have, aside from Jude, Jude, let's put it this way, Jude is the oldest witness witness yeah. to this Anything, this, yeah. this thing of Enoch yeah this pat this particular thing of e Enoch we have older witnesses in the Dead Sea Scrolls of other things called Enoch but I'll share you I pulled it up in accordance just, just the the fragment if anybody wants to research this in the Dead Sea Scrolls it's called 4q204 4Q204. What that means is it's cave four. So the four means it was cave number four. Because remember, that there's cave one, cave 11, right? There's uh, cave four. So it was found there. Q means Qumran. Cave four at Qumran. Because there's other places, too, in the Judean desert. So this is the code word that the scholars who are in the 50s and 60s, you know, are trying to uh, organize all these fragments. Sure. 4Q and then number 204. Fragment number 204. So they already have it classified before they even talk about its content and, and start dating it. They have a classification. So it's like, okay, 4Q204. 
Some call it 4Q Aramaic Enoch or something like that because it's in Aramaic. But this is all we have of his holy ones and his you don't even see. So it's really just holy ones. Flesh for blank deed. So it's probably it's probably all flesh for their wicked deeds, but all we have is part of the word of flesh and then for deeds. But we don't even know that deeds is plural, so it's just deed. And then we have great and harsh. That's it. Everything else. If you find anybody online that's telling you what the Aramaic Enoch has, and they give you more than that, they are <laughs> filling in what they're they're filling in a bunch of stuff that they don't know. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, and that's the oldest. So that might be an older. Wi- if if this fragment that is 4Q204, that is called Aramaic Enoch, is indeed from Enoch chapter 1 that we learned from the later, um, you know, Ethiopic, which is way later. Then we could say, okay, well, we have these tiny little puzzle pieces. It would be like a thousand-piece puzzle, and we have like a fragment, uh, you know, here, and then we're going to try to tell what the whole picture is. Well, the rest of that picture is a projection on knowledge that really doesn't come on the scene historically till way later. So when I say, and Caleb and I say that, Jude has the earliest witness of the full quote that, to our knowledge, that that we believe to be true. That's the earliest full textual witness that we have to someone recording and associating this uh, message of the Lord coming with saints or holy ones to execute judgment on the ungodly, finds its first uh, uh, codification in writing in history that we know of is is in its fullness is here. And he doesn't say, he doesn't present it as, as it is written. To me, that's significant. He's just making the point that the, the urgency of Judgment is coming. I mean, it's it's the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Well, uh, the, hang the on. judgment I, is coming. I agree with you, but it, it, let's just pretend for a second that uh, that Enoch was extant uh, and very popular in the first century. Whether they believed it was canon or not, uh, whether various sects of Judaism did uh, put it in their canon or not, the point is is that if if there was some form of oral tradition of of Enoch or something like that. It only makes sense that he would he would pull from something that everyone knows, and he doesn't say as yeah, it is yeah, written. Yeah, yeah. So he's not putting it within the, the the biblical canon. Okay, we've spent my all... my assumption is that is that people understood Enoch from back from the Bible as being a pre flood figure, right? And he's he's he is walking. It says he at Elohim. He walks with God, um, and so we have all sorts of lore that builds up around Enoch in the Second Temple period. That's clear. We, we know that. Um, that's true. But uh, there's no there's no problem that he gives from Enoch does not conflict with any other scriptures. The idea of the Lord, the, the warning that the Lord is coming to execute judgment, that we have that in Daniel, we have that in Zechariah, um, you know, the Son of Man coming on the, the clouds, the judgment. I mean, we, we have this time and time again in the Bible. So 
Yeah. So that's just something we need to keep in mind that when, when, when someone says, well, I mean, this, cause this is the, this is the thought. The thought is this Jude quotes Enoch. Therefore it should be in the canon. Therefore it, what do they mean by it is this, all they have is an Ethiopic, a book of Enoch, which is from like the 1500s yeah, manuscript, but, but, is like only 500 years old. And then, and then someone's translated that to them. But Paul quotes, the, Paul, Paul quotes the pagan philosopher. So that doesn't stand up. Okay. We've spent way too much time on this. We're going to go so far over. We're already 40 minutes in and we haven't even hit our main topic yet. Um, so let's move on. I hope that answers the question well enough for the person who asked it. Okay. Um, I think that before we go on, let's do this. <clears throat> Pardon me here. Um, let's do this. Let's welcome someone new to our show. We would like to welcome Chris Wright from West Lynn, Oregon, to the Robin Caleb Show's listening audience. You are now one of the 36 coolest people on earth. Please consider yourself blessed. You've been blessed. Welcome, Chris Wright. If you, too, would like to uh, be welcomed on our show <laughs> as one of our 36 listeners, then go ahead and shoot us an email, seahagatorresource.com. Tell me your first and last name and where you're listening from. Okay. Um, with that being said. You know what? I got to say something. Philip made a good point. Oh, I, okay, yeah. He, oh, go ahead. Let me just, Philip, I'm glad you pointed that out. First, oh, earlier you said something about Hebrew. Uh, Enoch, that's Aramaic is okay. It could be that there was whatever we call the first layers of what became First Enoch were written in Aramaic originally. I don't have a problem with that because Aramaic, Daniel, a bunch of Daniels in Aramaic, Aramaic was a main language of Jews in the Persian period and even into the, uh, the uh, uh, Hellenistic period. But it's still built on lore from the Second Temple period, not going back to the original Enoch, and maybe that was what your point was, that Enoch would have spoken in Hebrew. But aside from that, you made a point here that someone had suggested Enoch invented cuneiform, which is cuneiform is when you have clay and you're poking uh, the, the soft clay with the corner of a reed and it makes the wedges and then it dries. So cuneiform is not a language, it's a, a writing technology. You can write in many different languages and it can all be cuneiform. Cuneiform is is the writing of the of Mesopotamia, where there's a lot of clay, and it was a natural, uh, smooth surface. They could wad up a ball, they could roll it in their hands, push it like a little, you know, little cake, and then they could write in it. Um, but the point is this: is that people in in Messianic movement, one Torah, they start pushing into that realm, and we become laughingstocks. That's the point I wanted to uh, comment on that Philip made. Is that's right. But here's our difficulty: is we then we got it. We start saying, "I'm leaving the messianic movement." Caleb wrote that article last year. Why I'm leaving? I'm not Hebrew roots. I'm not messianic. It's it. We have to realize that we're kind of stuck, right? When God pulls Israel out of Egypt, they're all stuck. They're all in the same boat, and He says, "You're going to love each other, and you're going to correct each other," right? They don't have. You know, if you're part of this whole, you're in it for the long run. You know what I mean? And that, um, that's one of our challenges is we get these things and we do be, people laugh at us. You know, we become laughing stocks for uh, generally because of things like the flat earth or, 
word Hebrew word pictures, these sorts of things. Um, but I still believe, just as I believe that there are genuine, uh, you know, believers in Yeshua who are in different church denominations right now, so too there are in that probably identify as Hebrew roots or Messianic or, you know, these kinds of things. So um, that's one of, that's just one of the difficulties we have is to, is our love for Yeshua and the word strong enough to help us in our tolerance of helping others getting, getting straightened out in the, on their path, right? Cause there's people zigzagging, trying to go all these different directions, which to me, frankly, are distractions. I think the way is very clear. The way of discipline, of learning, growing in chokmah and wisdom. By the way, I'm, can I plug, uh, not Robin Kelb Show, uh, Michele with Gary Springer and Rob Vehoff? I want to plug. It's a it's an opposite end of the world of, of Robin Caleb Show. We're just reading through Michele in Hebrew, one line at a time, and we'll We'll take an hour and a half to talk about five verses. Well, we, that's the place if you want to get into that type of uh, devotional with, with the scriptures. I encourage you to check it out. It's called Mishlei, Conversational Commentary on the Book of Proverbs. Um, but the, one of the key points that Gary and I are continually, continually nourished with in our conversational commentary on Mishlei is that of the discipline, you know, discipleship. Wisdom takes time. Right. It takes time. It takes perseverance. If and it takes hearing a no, it takes being corrected, having your character developed through being corrected. And what I'm what I'm sad to say is I see so many I've seen it for almost 20 years now. People coming to a place where they hit a no. And instead of accepting that no and staying put and being shaped they bail and they go until they find a yes. And this is a double-edged sword because on one hand, you don't want to be subject to somebody who's filling you with untruth. But on the other hand, if you, if every time someone tells you no, you say, I'm out of here because I want to be right, you're never going to have discipline and you're going to be like the illegitimate child. You're not going to be like the son. And so discipleship is in the place where you you have the proof of fruit, which means time. So, for example, you look at Torah Resource. We have Tim Haig. We have Ariel Berkowitz, Gary Springer. We have Caleb Haig. We have uh, Michael Gonzalez. We have, uh, yours truly, right? And we're, and you can look at the history. You can look at you can investigate and say, okay, I can look. I can see the tree kind of, and I can see the fruit. A lot of the people preaching like Flat Earth or Hebrew Words Pictures, these people are, they're, uh, they're trying to do discipleship on their own. They're, and what I mean by that is they, they're consuming what they think is the Word of God according to their standards, and then they go out and actually have the audacity to teach others as if what they're teaching is true— but there's no tree you can look at. Okay, hang on. I'm there's ge- no whole tree where you can see and go, wow, who is this? Who did this person learn from? Who is he accountable to? Your rabbit trail just uh, met up with one of my main lines. So may I? <laughs> Please. Okay, so we're ta- you're talking about these leaders who have essentially no accountability. 
And, you know, this is one of the things we've talked a lot on this show about, about education and how education, uh, you know, is something that is needed because basically you're put through the rigors of being, you know, seen by other people and this kind of thing. You know, this is something that I've noticed. Okay, somebody called the other day and said, I've, uh, I met this guy the other day. He's doing, you know, he's doing horrible things in my mind in the messianic world. Can you please look at some of his teaching and, and talk about it on your show? So this is one of the things that we'll be talking about. This is something I noticed the other day. And, Rob, I think we've actually discussed this a little bit, but, we, but you can jump back in here. And, and uh, I, I know you weren't quite finished with your thoughts, so you can finish your thought, That's too. Right. But – one of the things that I want to uh, bring up is, you know, I hear like 119 Ministries. I hear like, uh, who are some of the other ones? There's other people who are like, don't listen to me. Don't take my word for it. Go research it for yourself. And this yeah, is... puts everything on the burden is all on the listener. It's, it's a total cop-out. Basically, if you hear that, run, in my opinion. And the reason why is because, no... Don't listen. And what business do you have feeding? Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, imagine the shepherd feeding a, a flock, and what he's doing, he says, I've got food for you sheep, and I'm going to put all this food out there. And I say, well, eat it. You know, I don't know. You know, don't associate what happens when you eat this with me. Go, you're going to have to decide on your own sheep whether this is food or not. Well, here's the thing is that for me, it's like this. No, listen to what I'm saying. You should be reading and studying your Bible no matter what, no matter who you're listening to, no matter what you're, what what pew True. you're sitting in, right? You should you should be studying your Bible and researching no matter what. If you hear something that I say and you you're reading your Bible, you think that I'm wrong. Great, come tell me. And guess what? I am going to listen, but at the same time, what I say and what I present is what I believe, and I've done research to try to substantiate what I'm saying. And so I will stand by and I will fight for, for what I believe is truth. I'm not going to cop out and be like, oh, well, yeah, you. I told you that you should, you know, you should go vi- check it out for yourself. That's a total cop out. Anybody who is, is telling you that is just trying to give themselves a way out so that when you actually, basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to make you think, Hmm. They said it said I should go research research it for myself. They would never say that if they weren't right. Oh, right. It, yeah. It's they, like, wow. If he's willing to say that, if he's willing to say go search it out for yourself, then he must be. Then he's totally telling the truth. It's like the uh, uh, anyway. There is a person in the messianic movement. We've talked about him before. Uh, his name is Steve Berkson. Steve Berkson does not say this. This guy is good. He is really good at what he's doing. This uh, was in the chat room a little earlier. I grabbed it and I copied and pasted oh, wait, it. Who's good, who's good at what he's... I, I'm, I'm Bergson. He's, he's really slick at what he's doing. I'm going to explain oh, what he's, he's doing. Okay, gotcha. okay, okay. He's, I'm not saying his teaching is good. I'm saying he is really good at what he's doing. Uh, okay, th- gotcha. This is what Robert Stiles in the chat room said earlier. He said, I think there is a tremendous desire to have deeper wisdom than others. It becomes trendy almost to be on the cutting edge and know stuff that others don't know. A concern I have for the rise of the messianic movement or whatever you want to call it, I think for too many, it's the next new thing, a fad almost. This Steve Berkson is cashing in on this. What he's doing is he's grabbing people who are 
disenfranchised with the church, okay? They're upset at the church because they, they just found Torah. They're excited about it. He pushes Torah heavy, which is, you know, great. We should all be pushing Torah. But what he does is then he, to keep his audience engaged and keep his audience going, he challenges every single doctrine, core doctrine of the church, Okay, now I'm not saying we shouldn't be asking questions. Like I said, everybody should be studying their Bible all the time. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be complacent and just sit back and listen to anybody. You should always be studying your Bible. Don't take somebody's word for it. But what Berkson does, first of all, he's engaging, he's charismatic, he's super easy to listen to. He's a he seems like a genuine nice guy, and so automatically he hooks you like, man, I could listen to this guy. I want to be a you know almost like I want to be I want to sit down at lunch with this guy. You know that's like kind of the feeling I get from him. Like wow, this guy seems really cool. He's built his ministry about uh, you know uh, from uh, around people who, who are disenfranchised from the church. He reveals. Oh wait, hang on. Oh, he revels in the in the fact that he. Uh, uh, pushes against the core doctrines of the church. And this is really one of the problems that I'm starting to see with him. And he always gives himself a way out. So he he's he's real good about the way he talks and the things that he talks about. Back uh, in the show, I don't know, maybe 130s or even before that, um, we did talk about Berkson. What we talked about was the time that he uh, said that the Antichrist is actually Jesus Christ that is the Jesus Christ that the church believes in. Um, however, the real Messiah is Yeshua the Messiah. Let's listen to that clip again just so that we can remember a little bit of who Berkson is. The greatest setup of all time has been perpetrated on all of the world. That setup has been per perpetrated and pushed on us for about 2,000 years now. The setup is to lead you away from Yeshua and the Torah. That setup is Jesus Christ. That is your anti-Messiah. My wife first was going to do this teaching. I said, what are you going to teach me? I'm going to tell everybody Jesus is the Antichrist. I'm not saying Yeshua. The false fraud. We're talking about is fraudulent. This, remember, we were Is this kind of like, remember that book, Hebrew versus Greek Jesus or something? Hebrew Yeshua versus Greek Jesus. Maybe that was one of Gordon's books. No, oh, that's one of Didn't yeah. He, that's that's one of Gordon's teachings. Did they kind of uh, are they kind of on the same page with that? No, in fact, uh, in fact, except what, Yeshua is Aramaic. Yeah, what what Berkson? Like he should rewrite a book that says uh, Aramaic Yeshua and Latin Jesus. Well, Berkson is ba he, this comes out more and more in everything that I hear from Berkson. He is one hundred percent anti-church. In every way, shape, or form. We'll hear more of this as we go along. Uh, let's listen to the end of this quote real quick. Uh, we only got 10 out of 12 seconds. Well, you're talking about fraudulent? The fraud that has been perpetrated on the world is the Jesus that you've been sold, who is peace, love, wonderful, hippie freak, and eat whatever you want, and don't worry, everything's great, and don't worry about what my father said to do. You, did, you know what I'm saying? This is the fraud. Okay, so I hope you can hear already. That's a, I disagree with that characterization. That's yeah, like of course totally I just I, I to, we totally disagree with it. But the point is that he's already given himself a way out in that quote, and he's done that by you know once again he is slick man. He's got it down. He 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 knows how to talk about this stuff. You know he think and okay anyway. Uh, so he gives himself this way out, which is oh what you don't think that the church has Jesus wrong? 
You don't think that Jesus, that the church is, you know, and you can, you can, uh, you know, you can see how he would be able to wiggle his way out of this, even though he's totally off base here. Um, anyway, so this, I, I started listening to, by the way, we should ta- change the ta- tagline of this show, wading through messianic poo-poo so you don't have to, because uh, that's what I've been doing for the past, I don't know how, uh, you know, yesterday I spent eight hours listening to Berkson's teachings. Um, so this was at the beginning, and I forgot to put this uh, in the show notes, I haven't edited this at all, um, but it's his first teaching on the Holy Spirit, which you can find on YouTube as well. Just put in uh, Steve Berkson, Holy Spirit. Um I haven't listened to this whole thing, so I can't really comment on, on it. Uh, the reason I started listening to this one was because uh, somebody told me that he doesn't believe in the personship of of the Holy Spirit. That is, you know, he rejects the Trinity. Um, so anyway, listen, listen to this, though. And, you know, he'll say a couple of things that you're like, wow, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. And then he'll say something, and you're like, um, and by the time, by the time you're trying to process it, he's moved on. As we get into this study, I want us to also understand, and I've said this many times, but it should be said here, there does not appear, not once, in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, the phrase, Ruach HaKodesh. The lie detector test determined that was a lie. Okay? There's the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of Elohim. Okay, hang on just a second. I want to comment on this, too. At first... I was get you know I was going to give him leeway on this because the the there's no ha on the in the in the three times that the that the Tanakh uses uh, the Holy Spirit it's it's a possessive it's there po- can't be a ha there can't be a ha you, on, you can't on, put a you don't put a definite article and a suffix on it yeah exactly yeah so, that, so well, that's he that's he's being a little bit if he knows Hebrew okay which, but but hang on just I sec. don't know if he does or not but if he does know Hebrew then he's being disingenuous well he went he went to Hebrew school this is one of his uh, claims to fame in terms of his education when he was growing yeah, Hebrew up school, yeah I understand Hebrew I'm with school. you I'm with you yeah exactly so but listen to this now this is where he really gets into trouble with himself because after after he says that it's nowhere found in the Tanakh, listen to what he says. The phrase, Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? There's the Ruach Elohim, the spirit of Elohim. There's other things that are said about the Ruach, but the actual phrase in Hebrew, Ruach HaKodesh, does not appear anywhere. Okay. So he goes on to say, oh, yeah, you have Ruach Elohim, you know, you have Ruach, uh, you know, Ruach Adonai or whatever, but you don't, have, you don't have Holy Spirit. That's not true. It's simply not true. You have it three times. And look, I'm nitpicking here, but I'm just showing, I'm setting up how, uh, you know, how Berkson works here. And uh, we'll see how he totally degrades um, uh, core doctrine, biblical core doctrine. Uh, So, of course, we have it in Psalm uh, 51, 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. This in, you know, once again, uh, it's going to sound differently because of the of the conjunction and all this. Anyway, uh, then we have in Isaiah uh, sixty three ten through eleven. We have it twice. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned himself to become uh, their enemy. He fought against them. Then his people remembered the days of old of Moses, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Uh, so he's, he, you know, he's, 
I don't know if he is not using a biblical uh, a Bible program where he can search Hebrew, but so he. But what? So here's what I'm understanding him to do because I haven't listened to this, and I won't. I probably won't. But um, he's saying he's thinking of this phrase, the Holy Spirit, right? And he's searching um, to knock for the Holy Spirit. And he's not finding it. No, actually, Therefore, I think uh, actually what I think what he's doing is he's copying Ruach HaKodesh from somewhere, and he's pasting that exact conjunction into. So he's thinking he's thinking it has to have a different article, and so he's saying that. Therefore, since Ruach HaKodesh, that particular phrase, is not in the Tanakh, that is he saying that then when it's used in the the Gospels or the Apostolic Writings, that it is uh, an invention or it's illegitimate? Does he, does, first of all, does he believe the Apostolic Writings? I guess I don't know. Uh, know once again, story, I, th- this is, it's difficult to know exactly where he's coming from on all that kind of stuff. Like it, at the end of Matthew, what does he say? So the end of Matthew, in the name of the Father, Son, and the, and the in Holy this, Spirit. In, in, this, in this exact teaching, he says that the, the term Holy Spirit is not a Jewish term. It is a—the Jews, the Jews, uh, the Jewish people started using it as a response to the Christian church who was using Holy Spirit. That's exactly what he says. Okay, if, if he says that, then I have no reason to hear, listen to him for anything, because okay. that's ridiculous. I agree with you completely, but let's actually hear what he's saying about— salvation. And this is really, this is, you know, so first of all, we already have several strikes again against Bergson. Like I said, seems like a genuine nice guy. And this is why he's, it's so scary because the more I listen to this guy, the more it just becomes really scary. Listen to this. Uh, so this is on his teaching on salvation. This is in your uh, show notes. Okay. Salvation. We're going to see as a process. And until you get to hear the words, well done, good and trustworthy servant, you're not saved. You may have been delivered from something. You were saved out of something. You were saved out of your ignorance. You were delivered into knowledge. You were delivered from captivity. You were delivered from sort of bondage. We're going to see all that. But saved is a completed idea. Okay? So I'm here to tell you, and I hate to get everybody mad at me, none of you are saved. You've been delivered, and you're on a process of being saved. Because here he's talking to the disciples. Who I okay, this is, this is what I call happy glad, wordsmithing. Yes. Is it happy or is it glad? You're happy, Caleb. You're happy, but you're not glad. Okay? You're happy, but you're not glad. And I'm going to show you. You know, you're thinking, hey, wait a minute. I am glad. I'm going to say no. You're not glad. You're happy. You're not glad. Delivered. Saved. He's saying that salvation, as people say, see it within the Christian church, that is, I was saved on this date. The you know the Lord saved me on this date. That would be washed, having your sins washed away by the blood of the Messiah. That doesn't happen until Judgment Day. I've heard this from other people as well. That there's major problems with that. Uh, Luke and seven. He's, he's missing the whole point of inaugurated eschatology. Exactly. We are, de- we are declared righteous. No, he doesn't in believe advance. that. In advance of Judgment Day, in Yeshua's resurrection. No, he does not believe that. He believes you can leave. And he's not teaching. He's not teaching the apostolic, the gospel of the apostles. Full, he's teaching something full, different. Full Arminian believes you can lose your salvation. 
Hang on, it gets worse. We're going to see that he believes in in uh, in salvation by works and not salvation by faith. But let's do we just have to keep listening to. It? Yes, we do. Uh, listen to this. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go now to scripture. Luke seven uh, seven fifty says he said to the woman, "Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." And then Acts two forty seven, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The idea that the scriptures don't talk about salvation from sins as something that is completed here you on know, earth is simply not true. Person, he's preaching. He's got an active audience. He probably, I would say he probably, he, if he studied a little bit of Hebrew, he probably knows a little bit of Hebrew, probably doesn't know much Greek. Um, and... He is probably driven by some other agenda than to actually learn the languages uh, of Scripture, because the way it, it sounds sensational, what he's saying. Yeah. None of you are saved. The Holy Spirit is not a Jewish concept or a Jewish term. See, but, but this These is the are, thing, is that he's, he's reeled people in by this point by, say, by saying, look, I te- the Christian church has sold you a bill of goods on what salvation is. I'm going to deprogram you from the church. And how I'm going to do is that I'm going to show you from the scripture that uh, that salvation is something different than what you were taught. Then he's going to go to scripture, and the way that he interprets these verses does not take into account all of scripture. This is, Here's the thing. Then you don't know if you're God's uh, part of God's people or not. He says that. He, then you don't know if the Torah applies to you or not. Okay, hang on. Let's listen to the, re- re- the, to the end of this quote, okay? Here we go. Talking to the disciples, who I would gather to understand all this better than you and I do. And he said to them, stay in me. Because notice what he says as he keeps going forward. In verse 6 he says, if anyone does not stay in me, he is thrown away as a branch that dries up, and they gather them and throw them in the fire, and they're burned. Apparently they weren't saved. Uh, very, very nice. No, no, I mean, no, 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 no. First of all, okay, this idea that... Here's the thing. And, go. and someone said this to me the other day. Someone said this to me the other day. Oh, ancient Israelites knew far much more than we do today. Or to say the disciples knew far much more than we do now. Well, yes and no. And mostly no. Mostly no. They had uh, advantage of proximity, yes. But time and time again, the apostles don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Even into the book of Acts. Even into the book of Acts. Why did Peter have to have the vision? Because he didn't get it. He didn't get it. He thought he got it. He got some of it. And when the when the Spirit, when he was preaching in the in the uh, by the power of the Ruach Hakodesh on Shavuot to do, and it was fruitful. That was one thing. But then we see later on it, that Luke tells us in chapter ten of Acts, there was still stuff that he didn't get. Even in the Gospels themselves, we see that the, the disciples don't always track. They, they, they're human, just like us. They're fallible. They have they, misunderstandings. So, I, yeah, this guy is kind of slick, but I think he's... he's well, listen, you know, to some, he, listen to some of his arguments. He's got so, for the people. Listen to some of his arguments. Here's one for you. And this is, uh, this is how he hooks. He's talking to people here that think that they're in... By the way, we're, he's uh, he's talking now on Matthew five twenty one. This is the passage that he's that he's uh, speaking about. F- Matthew five twenty one. 
Because, of course, the Jewish community thought that they were in, so to speak. But he's saying, look, but you can behave in a certain way that brings you into judgment. And so there is no such thing as being in, and then that's it. You don't have to be judged. I mean, it's funny how saved people know that they're going to stand before the judgment seat. Well, what's there to judge if you're saved? You're not going to really know until he judges you and tells you you're in, you see. But I'm going to understand. He's, there's not going to be a need for a judgment if you're saved. Why would he judge you? You're saved. You got your stamp. You got your little ticket, whatever, right? Okay, so like I said earlier, <clears throat> like I said earlier, he gives himself these ways out. So, for instance, he's using the term saved, i.e. salvation. He says it's an ongoing thing, right? We've or no, almost, he's saying you don't know, you don't know exactly, until... and that's and that's how he's get. That's where he goes wrong. Salvation is a continuous thing in terms of, you know, we're justified at a point in time, though. There's no doubt about that. There's a clear point in time, and that's what people mean when they say, I was saved on this date, is that they accepted the Messiah and they're justified, okay? Sanctification comes after justification. Sanctification is an ongoing process. There's no doubt about that. But to say that we're not saved is simply unbiblical. Perhaps, perhaps what he's talking about this. Maybe this is what he's saying. And I'm translating it to try to give the guy a benefit of the doubt on this one. In the parable of the sower, Yeshua talks about, right? I think it's Mark chapter 4 and other places. You know, there's this kind of ground, this kind of ground, this kind of ground, this kind of ground. Well, the seed that falls on, there, there is one seed that falls in the shallow ground on the stony rocks. And it, it says it, it sprouts up quickly. And Yeshua says that they hear, they hear the word and they're excited and they're enthusiastic and they sprout up. But then the sun comes and the heat of the day, which is like persecutions and whatnot, and it shrivels up, is gone. And it's only the fourth kind that falls down into good earth and bears fruit. And then you have the 30, 60, 100. Maybe what he's trying to say is that if that you need to look at that parable and say, wait a minute, is my enthusiasm for God's word a type two or a type four? Am I the, in the sower model, the sower going out to sow? Am I like this enthusiastic person who's excited just for a season, but when time comes and it's hard, I have nothing, no root in myself. I have no persevering endurance. I think honestly, and so I, yeah. I and, think... and so if he's saying that someone, and maybe he's saying this, there's people out there that are of that type two in the parable, and they're saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, when in fact they're going to blow away in the wind because the sun, the tribulation, persecution is going to scorch them. Okay, so it, wait, hang but on. I guarantee anybody who's in type four and bearing, bearing fruit, that's, that, that statement has no application for that person. I don't okay. Know. okay, but hang on. So... Uh, while, while I wish that I could uh, say that that's what he is advocating here, actually what I think that he's advocating is that if you're in the church, you're not saved. That's he true. Says, you're, I right. Am you're, the... you're right. I can't. My, my, my model falls. I'm not correctly interpreted because he's saying no, nobody knows they're saved. That's right. So he's saying what he's saying is that Yeshua's parable of the sower is untrue. Because Yeshua says there is a type four that brings forth fruit, and there's different levels of fruit. He's saying that that's not true. He's calling Yeshua a liar. Well, what he's doing he's saying, is— 
Hang on. What he's doing is he's saying that if you don't keep Torah, and I think what he means by keep Torah is kosher, Sabbath, festivals. If you don't keep Torah, you're not saved. That's what I think he's saying. Listen. He says, I am the door. Whoever enters through me. What does through me mean? Through Torah, through truth, through the Messiah. You see, it's the fullness of the depth of that. Can you enter in through him just because you made an altar call to, to, to one that basically has been used to say that you don't have to keep Torah? Okay, because I know a lot of people said, well, I was saved back in such and such year, you know, but I was saved in Jesus' name. Look, you weren't saved then. There is no saving if you're not entering through the door, which is Torah. Now, you were delivered out of a certain amount of ignorance. You were brought into an understanding to a certain degree about Messiah. But you see, we're going to see very clearly through Scripture here as we continue going forward that a Messiah knowledge without any Torah is useless and of, of no, it just means nothing. But here's so, the thing. You know, here's I know a lot of people say. Without, without the Ruach HaKodesh, his Torah observance is nothing. Yeah. This guy, if he's saying that the, that the Ruach HaKodesh is not. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, I, I mean, he's, it seems like he's kind of painted himself into a corner where, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's, I, I would just say, Oh, it gets worse. Hang on. You know, is useless and of, of no, it just means nothing. And so, you know, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, but I was saved in a different name and I no, you weren't saved until you came to understand the fullness of Messiah. Okay, now he's contradicting himself. He says nobody's saved, but then he says you weren't saved until you did this. Then you were delivered out of your full ignorance into a walk that can actually lead you into salvation. Now you're being led into salvation, even though he just said you were saved when? Let's be clear. I'm not attacking anybody that came into an understanding of Messiah in the name of Jesus. I did too. But that doesn't mean that you came into a real understanding of Messiah yet. You just came to understand that there was something to do with this book we call the scriptures of the Bible. Okay, he's, that was he's using the word real. Yeah. The real. So you, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I was, just wait. Relevant and true. And you started to learn that there was a, a one that came to you here. The son of the father came, died for your sins to make salvation possible. You came to learn that at that point. But you did not truly embrace Messiah until you embraced him as the walking, talking Torah. So when he says, I am the door, whoever enters in through me, that means through Torah observance and belief that he is Messiah and belief that he's the soon coming king and that he's going to be master of masters and king of kings. It's the fullness of it that we need. Okay, partial isn't going to cut it. I think that the scriptures are pretty clear that that's not exactly how it works. Justification through faith alone. This is a core doctrine. And... Berkson here is clearly. So he said what I heard him say. He used the word to make it possible. That's that's a key. That's a dinger for me. Yeshua died to make salvation possible. I love this. Gary Gary just posted this. Uh, Gary's in our control room, by the way. I forgot to say that at the beginning of the show. What I'm saying is this: the Torah, which came 400 years, uh, 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on Torah, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. That's right. 
And, yeah. And this is, we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 8, look at Romans, chapter 4, uh, or chapter 3, chapter 4, mostly 4. If you're a son of, and, and other places, to be a son of Abraham by faith, a new creation, that's what this is about. The Torah hangs on all the things he's calling Torah observance is the door, Torah obs- No, that's the fruit. Torah, it's the command, those are all the commandments that hang on the core, which is the Shema. That means loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, everything you are. And that's your core orientation to reality. That's Yeshua, who's loving Yeshua. And then loving, your, loving others as a fruit of your love for Yeshua. That's it. All the other commandments fall will fall into place, but to and that's the way we need to frame this. That's the way this is. That's the way, you know. Someone coming up, he mentions uh, Matthew five. We could look back at Matthew four. Or Matt, uh, is it Matthew four? Uh, where or Matthew three? Maybe Matthew four. John the Baptist, and they come up and they say, "We're children of Abraham. We're not slaves." John eight. We've never been in slaves. He says the axe is at the root of the trees. God can bring up children from these stones to Abraham. He's saying it's not about that. It's about genuine who is a child of Abraham. And the true children of Abraham do not get that inheritance by adherence to some idea of Torah. Not at all. It's new birth in Messiah Yeshua. You are a new creation. And you learn to grow because your heavenly Father will not leave you an orphan. He oh. will correct you. He will guide you, and you will slowly grow and be disciplined, and you'll bear more and more fruit, and that's the way he works. The control room wants to hear the clip, the beginning of the clip again about the door. Hang on. He says, I am the door. Whoever enters through me. What does through me mean? Through Torah, through truth, through the Messiah. You see? It's the fullness of the depth of that. Can you enter in through him just because you made an altar call to, to, to one that basically has been used to say that you don't have to keep Torah? Well, okay, now this is, this is interesting. Once again, Bergson is totally against the church. So he's saying that the church, and this is, this is his broad statement, you think that he might, you know, maybe he's not including all of the church in there. I'm going to play a clip here in a few minutes where he actually says all of Christianity, essentially. Um my my experience with the altar call thing is that it's calling people to repent for sin, repent from sin, and yeah. to turn from sin. So it it feels like he's advocating, and that and that's a conviction that a soul has at a certain moment. At the moment of their conviction, if it's an altar call style of church or whatever, at the moment of that conviction, they're not thinking, oh, they're not thinking big picture like he's pre- oh, this is. Uh, Jesus, who's uh, says I don't have to do any commandment because it's all free. They're not. That's not. Well, yeah. What church unfair. says that? It's totally. It's totally unfair for him to take that characterization and juxtapose it with the person whose heart is convicted in a repentance call. Yeah. So so Philip it, Philip says this, and this is really good. He says, "I'm sorry to be simplistic, but to me, salvation is all of grace through faith." Exactly. Torah keeping is how we express our love for the one who has loved us by doing right. those things that he is, he states pleases him. Exactly. And that's the point. Salvation through faith alone. 
I, I shouldn't say that. Justification through faith alone. There, now, this is, you know, he's using this word salvation. Uh, granted, sanctification is part of, of salvation. But guess what? The church, at, at least the majority of churches that I have seen and uh, heard of from, uh, you know, Look at some of the big name passes out there right now. Ravi Zachariah, uh, uh, John Piper, N.T. Wright, uh, you know, uh, Alistair Begg. These guys are all from different denominations, right? And every single one of them says that we conform to, to what God wants us to do, to his scripture, to his word, that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And when that happens, we are changed to the glory of God. Every single one of them says that. Let's keep going. Here we go. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 25, we have a very similar account in Luke 10, 25. And see a certain one learned in the Torah stood up, trying him and saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit everlasting life? And he said to him, What has been written in the Torah? How do you read it? And he said, You shall love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart, and with all your being, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you shall live. You see? What do you need to do to be saved? What did Yeshua say? Keep Torah. Okay? Oh, I know people want to go and tell me what Paul said and how they want to bend and twist Paul. No, no. What did Yeshua say? Yeshua said... Keep the commandments and you shall live. If our listening audience is, there's more to this clip. If our listening audience isn't freaking out right now, then you don't listen to this show enough or your theology's off. Keep the commandments and you'll be delivered. Keep the commandments, you'll inherit everlasting life. Let's go to Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Pause, pause, pause for a second. This, he, he misses the point. He, he exactly, exactly. He stopped reading. What was the point? Why did Yeshua say that? Because Yeshua knew the man's heart, knew that the disciples, it's a setup. The disciples are all there thinking, wow, this guy's got it together. He's probably got nice, he looks financially blessed. He's got seat seat. He's probably has, who knows? He might even been wearing tefillin. Who knows? Maybe he's like, man, this is a guy who represents the covenant of Avraham. And Yeshua shoots one across the bow to him, says, well, how do you read the Torah, right? It's an invitation to discussion. And the guy says this, and he says, you have answered rightly. Go do it, and you'll live. That's the beautiful point. The point is the guy already knew that, and he coming to Yeshua saying, because he's uncertain. It means he doesn't really know Torah observance, but he knows Yeshua's got something that he needs. And then Yeshua calls it, yeah, I'll tell you what it is. Right? Because you already knew the answer. You Preach. thought you knew the answer. Preach. And he gives them, well, what happens? The guy goes away sad because he loved mammon more than God. <laughs> he was not then keeping the Torah. And not only that, Torah observance was not even an option for him, even though he had outwardly all the mitzvot. Because they, who were the disciples saying, well, who then can be saved? If this guy can't, and that's the whole core point. Here we go. I want before we go to him again. Acts fifteen. What Do does it. Peter say in Acts fifteen eleven? We believe that we have been saved through the grace of the Lord Yeshua in the same way as them, and that's the, uh, that we have been saved. They believe that they have been saved. That means these these Gentiles have been saved the same way that we Jewish believers have by faith, purifying our hearts. 
Paul talks about the assurance that if he has. If your heart has been purified, if your heart has been purified by, by faith in Yeshua, you are his. You belong to him. And no one can pull him out of your hands. You can't jump out of the hands. And But part of being a disciple does mean you do have Yirat Elohim. You do have the fear of God. That's part, and that's going to spur you. You're right, you though. But, but you're right, though. The, the whole point is in that passage about Yeshua is that, he, is that the guy goes away. They say, how can anybody be saved? The point is that that, setup. Guy, that guy wasn't keeping Torah at all. And the reason why is because he didn't have Yeshua. He had all the outward things. He yeah. had all the traditions. He had all the reasons where an outward person would go, man, that guy must be, uh, he represents the Abrahamic covenant in all its fullness. Look at him. Torah, mu- he's got money. He must be good. God must think this guy's something special. Look at all, he's very wealthy. He's got authority in the society. Wow, look at all the honor. That's, our, that's the heritage of our father Abraham. Yeshua is pulling that and putting it all on the table and showing, no, the core of your heart is covetousness and f- fear of man rather than love of God. Yeah, That's why right. we need Torah of the Messiah. We need That's the, the... the instruction that the greatest commandment is the Shema, and the one that is, that is like it is love your neighbor as yourself. We have to, if we lose that footing, and we don't, you might even hear that, okay, well, that's the greatest commandment. You still, we still need... Yeshua, we need new life, and that's the Ruach HaKodesh. That's, that's, the, the, Ruach that's HaKodesh. the point, though, is that Berkson is a master of taking Scripture, making it sound like he knows what is going on, either not giving full context, not bringing in other, you know, not looking at the, the uh, Bible as a whole, all sorts of stuff. That's, that's and number he's two twisting. in terms of— He's twisting. Two, number in terms of in, uh, disingenuous, telling yeah. people that the Holy Spirit is not in Tanakh— by not telling them that the three times we have Ruach Kodesho or Ruach Koshecha, that those are definite because they have a suffix, and so they can't take a definite article on the Ha-Kodesh. So that's disingenuous. And then to read part Either of this that or passage, it's ignorant. Either that or it's ignorant. Yeah, or it's ignorant. Or to read part of this episode with this rich young ruler or lawyer or whatever, and to cut it off right before we get to the punchline— that also is disingenuous. Well, hang on. He's going to keep going. Acts chapter 16 and in verse 30. And having led them outside, he said, Masters, what do I have to do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Master Yeshua Messiah, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of Yahweh to him and to all who were in his house, and taking them into that hour of the night, he washed their wounds, and immediately he was immersed and and all that were his, and having brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced with all the household, having believed in Elohim. Notice the connection, though, had to do with learning the word. You see? Believe on the Master, Yeshua Messiah. First of all, he says, uh, this bothers me. People who go to the apostolic writings, they see the word kurios, and they put Yahweh there. Yeah. uh, This is strike three against this guy's drosh here is that a servant is not above his master. If this guy's master is really Yeshua, why would he go above what Yeshua and the apostles do by using kurios or Adonai and insisting, teaching people that it's something other than what it is? That's that's another uh, third point that I would just say, you know, this guy doesn't have his ducks in a row. 
I see in terms of being a public speaker and using persuasive rhetoric. Yeah, exactly. I, I see he's I can see that he's got some some uh, some success with that, obviously, or people wouldn't be there listening. OK, but in terms of rubber beats the road, I'm like uh, I'm. Nothing. He's offering nothing. I got I got two more clips and the last one is a doozy. Here's the here's the second to the last clip. You're setting us Matthew setting us chapter up. ten and verse twenty two. Back to Matthew. And you shall be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who shall have endured to the end shall be saved. Hmm. Did you hear that? Is there any ambiguity there? No, According to this verse alone, if you... <laughs> true genuine faith, the faith of type four that falls on good ground, perseveres and bears fruit. Yeah. And is pruned hmm. and bears more fruit, and is pruned and bears more fruit, and endures. Yeah. Yeah, Did you hear that? That's... Is there any ambiguity there? According to this verse alone, if you didn't hear anything else the whole day, are you saved now? No. He says, "Okay, stop, he... stop." Eh, eh, eh. Okay, this is. Let's just retrace his thought. <laughs> Go. He who endure, he who endures to the end, will be saved. That's the phrase, right? Yep. Okay. He, what he's doing, he's reading that, and he's saying. He's telling us that we need to read it as causative. Yes. If, if you endure to the end, then you will be saved. Yes. This is so what now he's what that does by by enforcing that template on the reading, it makes it look as if endurance to the end is a work of man. Yes. And it's not. Yes. Endurance of endurance to the end is not a work of man. Perseverance is a fruit of genuine faith. This whole teaching is on how you can lose your salvation, but keep going. So, but but the so Yeshua's just I just take it I take it completely differently. He's just being he's just describing what he's saying is those who have genuine faith in me will persevere through all persecution. You don't persevere. Why? Because I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you the words to say when you need to. When you're when you're yeah. called in front of people. Don't have to worry. Don't be anxious. I'll give you words to speak. Um, when times are tough, trust in me. I will be with you. It's like where you, where Paul had the the pain or whatever in his flesh, thorn, thorn in his oh, flesh. Oh, don't go to Paul. That. Don't go to Paul. And and, <laughs> and what did Yeshua say? Paul wanted. He said, "I need this gone. I need this gone. I can't make it. I can't persevere. This is this has got me to the edge." And what did Yeshua said? My strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, it's in, Yeshua, in the grace of Yeshua, we are given a gift of faith, not of ourselves. It's not a work, lest any man be boast. And that genuine faith perseveres, perseveres. And those people have the promise of being with Yeshua forever. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm... Sorry. We have that promise right now. We have the promise right now. Not that's the that's the that's the wonderful good news of the gospel <laughs> is that in, it, before judgment day we are already reckoned as dead to sin. Look, that the, means the Torah before you're born again in Yeshua, the Torah is over you, condemning you for your sin, not telling you how to get saved. Yeah, it condemns us for our sin because why? Because 
we've all fallen short. Yeah, the, the There's chi- no person who, who does not keep the Torah, and, that, and therefore you, you're in sin and you will die in your sin. Only Yeshua kept the Torah perfectly and has the promise of life. There's, sin has no grasp on Torah. Uh, or, sorry, sin has no grasp on Yeshua. Could not hold him. He lives forever. He's eternal life. And it, we too, in Yeshua, we die. That means the Torah has no condemning power over those who are in Messiah. Why? Because it's all life. It's all resurrection life. It's all obedience. It's all love of God and love of neighbor and all the commandments that fruitfully come and depend on that relationship. This guy doesn't understand that. He's, I, I don't know if he's trying to sell books, if he's trying to just hear himself talk, but that message is totally lacking in what this guy's talking the, the, about. The chat room has brought something up interesting. They, uh, the chat room has said that it sounds like he's talking down to his audience. This actually is a, probably, a, I mean, he, he might not even know he's doing it, but the point is is that it, it basically it makes it so if you disagree, it's like, hey, look, stupid, don't you get it? This is what salvation is, really. Are you stupid enough that you don't, you know, that you no, think— And here's the other you th- thing. And you agree with the church? On how, to keep, how to keep the Torah. He's like, I'll, I'll tell you now how to keep halakha. Maybe. I'll maybe your, he's maybe. saying, I'll be your door. <laughs> what he's what he's trying to do, and this is how uh, this is how we even came to talk about this guy. Somebody who met him three days ago, th- he had flown up to Canada and was uh, was tr- he's trying to get like satellite congregations around. So that's what he's trying to do right now. Let's keep going with this clip I, because I, I like get, what he says. He's he's probably not sure. Of, he's obviously not sure of his own salvation. He says that he says I'm not saved right now. Hang on, let's keep listening. He who shall have endured to the end shall be saved. Yeah. That's the only yeah, that means, point that means, where you're actually wait, saved. Wait, you already, you already talked on this. Let him, let's hear the whole clip. That's the only point where you're actually saved. Now, that doesn't mean you weren't saved out of ignorance. Every time you learn something new that's a part of the truth that you didn't know before and you can fix something in your walk, to make it in line with Messiah, in line with Torah, you were delivered out of that ignorance. You were saved from a bad behavior. You were saved from your ignorance. You were saved from all kinds of things or delivered. But the idea that people use about saying, you know, when were you saved? I'm not saved. I won't be saved until he tells me you're in. I could tell you when I came to know that there was a Messiah. I can tell you when I came to realize that Torah was relevant. I can tell you when I came to this and that. I can tell you different places I was saved out of something. But I wasn't saved saved. If that makes any sense. See, so there you go. From his own mouth, he's not saved. Um, no, so you have saved and then you have saved saved. Yes, exactly. And this is, saved he's trying, he, yeah. And uh, see, once again, slick. Slick. He is, he is leading people down the primrose path. Ridiculous, but this this last Caleb, clip, you're saved, but, but you're I'm not, not saved, 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 saved. Exactly. I want to. I want to. I like you want to ISO that. You want to ISO that clip? Yeah, yeah. I'll do it. Saved, but not saved. Saved, saved. saved if that makes any sense. Okay, saved, but not saved, saved. Okay, I'll ISO that clip before next before next week. This is the last clip that I got from him. It's a minute and thirty seconds long. The end of this clip is my is is the icing on the cake for me. Um, and let's just I no other setup except for that. Listen to this last verse now. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so also the belief is dead without the works. So now what does that say of every person who made an altar call and keeps no Torah? Their belief is dead. Okay, I want to stop right here for a second. What does he mean by keeps no Torah? 
If you just live, if you just go up to the altar call and you never go back to church again, you never, you know, you you don't okay, love here, your neighbors yourself. Give an that's fine. I'll give an example. Hang on, but that, but hey, example. but you'll see you'll see at the end of this clip that that's not what he's talking about. Go ahead, give your example. My idea is this: is I'm going to do this altar call, but I don't really love God. I don't really love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. But I'm going to do this altar call. Okay, so so that's not really faith then, right? It's not really belief because there's there's not going to be any fruit. Yeah. The only way there's fruit, good fruit, is if it's a good tree. So he's is he is he telling us that some of these people who go do altar calls, they're in a, an emotional thing. That's what I thought. They, that's what I thought. Love God. That's what I thought. But hang on, let's listen to the full clip now. And so was yours until you had the works. Am I judging them? No. I feel horrible for them because they're being told that they're fine. They're being told that they're saved. They're being told that they're in. They're being lied to. They're being terribly lied to with a horrible deception. And James he, makes it really clear. You can say you've about about rabbinic halakha in the same way? Does he talk about how no, 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 uh, Orthodox he's... Judaism tells Israel that they're in and that they're <laughs> they're in and, and that their Torah is good? Oh well that yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he probably would. Hang on, let's listen to the end of this clip though, because we're now we're we're I'm I'm thinking to myself at this point when I'm listening to this for the first time I'm thinking, okay, he's saying that the people who uh go up, they say the altar call and then they you know, they never live they never think about it ever again. That's who he's talking about. And certainly he's not talking about But you know what? Altar call is like in one it's like in the holiness movement or something. You know what I mean? But okay, hang on. Let's altar call is not is not even represent Okay, listen to the whole clip, though. Hang on. Listen to the whole clip, okay? Here we go. And James makes it really clear. You can say you have all the belief in the world. If you don't have the works, your belief is dead, useless. There's nothing. She says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so also is belief if it has no works. What works? Well, he said the Torah of freedom is what we're talking about here. You must have the works. You must have the works. These are the things that ultimately will save you. Okay? Because in verse 14 it says, Look, my brothers, what use is it if anyone says he has belief and doesn't have works? This belief is unable to save him. So none of those people who are in the Sunday churches are saved just by that verse alone. They're going to have to come to the point where they understand the Torah is relevant. Sounds to me like he's talking about the whole church right there. Listen, let's listen to that last part one more time. Who are in the Sunday church to save him. So none of those people who are in the Sunday churches are saved just by that verse alone. They're going to have to come to the point where they understand the Torah is relevant. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I I don't even have it. Go ahead. We're saying this, though. This isn't the same. Who is the one who's like, you know, uh, going to church, something like this. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a burger joint makes you a hamburger or something like that. Is that do you remember that phrase? Yeah. I've, Have you ever heard that? Vaguely, yes. So, but that's, that's and that's inter-Christian, inter- like, spurring. That's when you get a preacher who's spurring on. He's like, look, just because you come and put your butt in the pew— or you know, come. Did I say that word? <laughs> can I say? Can I say that? 
put your rear in a seat at a at a church. He what that what and that's pastors doing that in Christianity, right? Just because you come to church doesn't mean you're saved, doesn't mean you're a Christian, doesn't mean you're a disciple of Yeshua. And they're making the same it sounds like he's just really taking that same argument, but he's trying to make it uh he's moving the goal to to exclude those disciples of Yeshua who are not yet understanding uh, Torah in, in the way he understands it. Here's the other thing. He keeps saying you've been saved from ignorance. You've been saved from ignorance, saved from ignorance, all like you're growing. But the, but it, and, and you're saved into knowledge, like you get new knowledge that you didn't have, and now you're, you're more in alignment, and you can fix your life, right? He's, I think he's going to get into this tikkun kind of, I would, I, because it, it just sounds, I'm hearing like, Takun Olam coming, uh, you know. Uh, but in fact, discipleship is not that way. Discipleship is not modeled in the in in the Bible. It's not biblical uh, model that he's per, that I'm hearing here. With the idea of a person who's uh, wants to follow Yeshua slowly has more and more uh, deliverances. They have a string. Their life is a string of deliverances from from ignorance into knowledge, and then all of a sudden, someday. Uh, they wait that last day. They're waiting in front of the Lord, and they don't know what He's going to say. And then He says it, and then they're like, "Oh,", oh. or they're going to say, "Oh, I'm. I guess I'm not in." Or, "Yay, I'm in." That's the picture. That's not a biblical picture. What the biblical picture is discipleship. That's where someone is telling you no. Someone is correcting you. Someone else is correcting you and guiding you, helping you walk because they're a little further on their walk. That's what the Bible model is. It's not. It's not a person on their own, like coming to like, like, oh, I have. I was just delivered from that ignorance, or oh, I was just delivered from that. Wow, and I can look at all these ignorant spaces that I've been delivered from. That's that's a strange model that he's he's proposing there. Uh, he doesn't talk about discipleship. He doesn't talk about. I haven't heard him talk about discipleship. I no. haven't heard him talk about being corrected. By a teacher or an elder, I haven't heard anything like that. These are core to bear fruit. Here's another thing: is that one of the things that him? I've noticed a lot of these guys do this. Okay, is what they'll do is they'll make their teaching like six six separate teachings, so that you can you know to understand what they're saying, you got to listen to six hours. Yeah, yeah. And why in the world do I ever want to listen to six hours? Of you know this guy, um, nothing about nothing about discipleship, pruning, correction, persevering. Nothing about the fruits of the spirit of a tree bearing fruit. Yeah, I I, I don't see any. Uh, I, so I would just warn people: be aware of this kind of teaching. Be aware of teaching where they start reading a scripture like the, like the Matthew ten or whatever. Uh, and then they abandon ship, abandon the middle. Uh, beware of guys doing that. Beware of guys shaking you up by saying, taking some core thing, like the Holy Spirit, like some core uh, truth that you know from the scriptures, and then telling you, oh, it didn't, it doesn't exist. Yeah, you only know and that because you know, of the church. You only know that because of the, yeah, the church, yeah. and, and the church is wrong, beware of course. Of Big, bad, wrong church. Hey, hey, Rob, I think that what we're going to say for uh, for Steve Burks, and if you're out there, you listen to this, this is what we have to say. And that is what we call a theological fail. Fail.
That's right. Run, run yeah. away, run away very far. And just to reaffirm to our listeners, um, we believe that uh, while we affirm one Torah, we understand that people, God calls people from all different places, all different places, and that their growth takes time and patience. But it's the yeah. Lord who teaches his people. He's our rabbi. I think this guy calls himself rabbi. That's another issue that I would say, look, dude, <laughs> you have nothing to offer. <laughs> that but, is the least of his problems at this point. That's the least of your problem. But the point is that Yeshua is the one doing the correcting and that Yeshua accomplishes what he sets out to do. Just like in Matthew, he call him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. Yeah. How about that verse? He will save his people from their sins. Are you a disciple of Yeshua? Are you belong to Yeshua? Well, I'm, his point is, if you if we weigh everything we've just heard from uh, Irksum there, and we see— Did you just call him Irksum? Did you just call him Irksum? Irksum? Maybe Steve Irksum? <laughs> and we take the one verse, he will save his people from their sins. Oh. He will save their people from his sins. That is true. And you can know, you know whether you're— a disciple of Yeshua or not. You know it. Yeah. Because you have faith, you have persevering faith. We have the assurance of the gospel. You have the assurance of faith. Faith is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you have to work really hard at and then someday wait and you hear where the hammer's going to drop. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed before the gavel. Yeah. The, uh, I would just say, you know, and people making... Uh, teachers who are out there making divisive statements like everybody in the church is blank or everybody, just like even if we were saying everybody who's in Hebrew roots is blank or everybody who's in Messianic is blank, those, you got to be just, we want our ears to be attuned to those kinds of statements. Um, and any and the shock and awe kind of policies, you know, the shock and awe teaching, um, the, the separation, oh, Jesus is different than Yeshua. Yeah. It's just, no, no. Um, let's let's not let's not uh, entertain that kind of nonsense. And uh, I would encourage you to, you know, look at the look at the fruit of the trees. You know, and you can look at look at Torah resource. Look at who we are. You can learn about us, um, and see. You know, look at look at organizations. You know, is it a team of people? Is it a multitude of people working together? Are there multiple counselors involved? Are they accountable to a common mission? Are they accountable to a common cause? That and it's open. You know, a lot of these guys I've looked online. You can't really learn much about them because they're sell, they're salesmen, right? You're getting just, you know, this this sales thing. And and uh, I I just I would be weary of that kind of thing. But take some time, pause. You don't have to be in a hurry and research the people that are out there teaching and say, hey, is this person? I know they're a teaching now. How, were they a good disciple? Have they been a, a faithful disciple before they started teaching? And if so, can I learn a little about? And you know what? Ask them. If someone, when someone asks me about my history, I'm an open book. Yeah, I'll tell them about what my, you know, things I used to believe that I don't believe. Teachers I've had that have been critical, crucial in in my shaping and my thinking and yeah. my, my perspectives and my behavior. All these things, multiple teachers, and I'm happy to share all this. Um, you know, find out if, if the people who are teaching have that, if, are they approachable like that? I know that we've encountered people, Caleb, uh, asking them about, well, where'd you learn Hebrew? They, they like, they won't tell you. you know, 
one of two response. One is they'll be excited you're asked because they rarely get asked that, and they get to share about their favorite teachers and how inspired they were by people who, who they learned from. Or they're going to say, you're elitist. You're asking me, you know, blah, 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 you know, and, and they put up a wall. So is the person approachable in terms of where they've learned and their history? Um, I don't know anything about the guy we've listened to in terms of that. I'm just saying this is – this is for you, our listeners who are looking for to grow in discernment is be okay asking people about who they are and where they're studying and who they've been di- discipled under, where they've got the shape. Uh, and and it's a good question to ask. It's fair. So uh, we're at an hour and 40 minutes. That's probably one of the longer shows that we've ever done. Uh, we still haven't gotten to John 6. Did you want to do that today or you want to wait for another time? No, we can hold off. That's fine. All right. Well, in that case, I hope that everyone learns something today. Uh, but most importantly, you know, have discernment. That's the one thing I can say. Uh, study your Bibles, and and you should be testing every teacher and everything that uh, people are saying. Just because a person says, uh, uh, you know, go search it out for yourself, or just because a person says you're being duped by the church, don't necessarily just take that at face value. Study your Bible. That's that's the point. Um and so until next time, we will be doing our Christmas slash Hanukkah special next Tuesday, probably. That's kind <laughs> of funny. Christmas, Robin Caleb show, Christmas special. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, here's the thing is that we will be pre-recording. We can do that because it's our show and, and we get to do what we want. By the way, quit. People, please, if you disagree with us, that's fine. Call the comment line, but quit telling me that we need to bring people on our show to debate. I'm not bringing anybody on my show to, on this show to debate. It's ridiculous. Why would I do that? Give somebody a platform. No, we've been told that over. Yeah, you, know, you should bring this person on. And it's like you know, no, no, that's not that's that's other than what our mission is. Yeah. Um, anyway, we will be doing our show probably next Tuesday. Keep a uh, keep an eye out for uh, chat room information and whatnot for those in the chat room. Thank you to everyone in the chat room. Don't forget that you can always call our comment line, and I'll give that to you one more time. It is two five three four six five thirty two zero five. Yeah. Um, discernment, people. Discernment. That's that's what I hope and pray for. We should be praying for Mr. Berkson. Uh, you know, I I I hope that uh, you know he the Lord will turn him uh, and and use him as a uh, as a person who can turn many people to the Lord. That will know that they're saved. That will be able to uh, you know go out and be disciples uh, with the assurance of the gospel that we have been washed clean by the blood of our Messiah Yeshua, and that uh, we have hope and conviction of the truth, not that we are uh, scared that we don't have salvation, but that we do have salvation through our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.